0: Welcome back to the Spear Factor Spear Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Whitman. Today's guest is none other than Shrek, Mr. Isaac Daly from the Noob Bureau Podcast. Um, I have Shrek on because he's always kind of been a mentor in this uh, industry for me. And also, uh, he's got some new things he's working on from spear fishing classes. And I, I really just wanted to catch up with him. Uh, just because I hadn't talked to him in a while and see what's new in his neck of the woods. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy the the episode and um, kind of shed a little light on the man behind the noob Spiro. So all right, enjoy. All right, and now our new sponsor, VitalOcean's clothing brand, Vital Oceans is a California-based, environmentally conscious clothing brand. What that means is that their kind of focus is bringing awareness to protecting our oceans through their artwork on the shirts. Be sure to check out vitaloceans.com and input SpearFactor23 for a 15% discount. Don't forget, if you want to step up your spearfishing, go ahead and check out spearfishingmentor.com. There's spearfishing classes. One of them's for free give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect. If you were to purchase the master class. there's over five hours of information on there for you guys. So be sure to check out spearfishingmentor.com. Now I'd like to thank our sponsor, Mr. Ted Hardy of Immersion Freediving, uh, enter promo code spearfactor for 15% off uh, on his 28 day free diving transformation course. And uh, it's pretty awesome. I've used it and I recommend it. So you can find this course and the other courses Ted puts out for us at freedivingsafety.com. Like I said, enter the promo code SPEARFACTOR for the discount. And thanks, Ted, for sponsoring the show. Our next sponsor is Hot Rod Spear Guns. Uh, Paul has offered us 10% discount with a promo code SPEARFACTOR. So thanks, Paul, for making badass guns and uh, providing a hookup for our listeners. And Kamira side slip. So Kamira Sideslip, You can purchase those at Kamira Spearfishing. That's K-I-M-E-R-A. And basically, I've talked about the side slip before in the show. It's kind of the benefits of a slip tip without worrying about breaking your tip hunting around rocks. Uh, it replaces the flopper with a side slip. Uh, check it out more at the website. And if you use promo code Spearfactor all lowercase at checkout, they'll give you 5% off. And if you'd like to uh, sponsor Spear Factor podcast, feel free. Uh, You can go ahead and shoot me a note on the website, spearfactor.com. Thank you. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Spear Factor uh, spearfishing podcast. Today's guest is none other than Shrek Isaac Daly. You just, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, welcome to Spear Factor, the greatest spearfishing podcast on the planet.
0: <laughs> the number two greatest. I uh, know, no, don't be like that, man. Like you, like I
1: think new spear has been going ten years. How long's um the Spear Factor going to be going now? It's like
0: four, maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I think it's four or five. This might be the fifth year coming up. Oh, it's well done, man. Thank you. Uh, I uh, I couldn't have done it without you, man. To be honest. Uh, Ah, oh, it's been cool. Like um,
1: when you launched your Patreon, I think I was one of the first people in there with um, Captain Dan, and yeah, uh, it's awesome to support you, man. Like um, yeah, you've had some cool people on, some good yarns, and you've um, you've stuck to it too, which is something a lot of people start and and uh, fall away. So
0: cool. Thanks. Yeah, it's interesting, man. It's um, <clears throat> I always look at what you're doing, and it's I respect it more and more because it is really truly um. A labor of love it's tough because <laughs> you know, you, you're like what what is the point mm. and and really the point of it i go back to which you really originally started everything was just trying to put out some things to help people um, mm. you know and i always thought like as i talked about this with our, our friend john but well, your your perspective is you were my understanding was you were newer and you started it Um, uh, so you were doing it from like a host with little experiences, not much, a few years or whatever, and helping yourself as well as helping other people with guests. So your perspective was different. And then I thought it'd be kind of cool. Um, and I've been diving for a while and I was like to do it with my guests only have a little bit more experience behind me. So I can ask maybe different questions or something or just take a different. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. And then um, I am happy to say that, I mean, you're like the godfather of it. I mean, to be honest, you know, I mean, you had been doing, you said 10 years, right? So it's like you, and then there has been others that have jumped in and um, and I actually thought, cool, we could pass the torch, you know? Yeah. Um, and because we're not we're not making any money at all off of it. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. I'm actually losing a lot based on my taxes, but, um, yeah. you know, I think I uh, saw my taxes you, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's cool to be able to like, Hey, someone, maybe we inspired or, or help, you know, someone do something and they think they could do it differently or a different approach. Cool. And I thought like, Oh, these guys are going to jump in and, and take over. And then maybe that's a good way to fade out and just like, you know, but then what I've seen is a lot of people come and then they do, they start a good product I think and then they just kind of fall off or something I don't know. Uh, yeah
1: I think you have to have you have to have a bit of purpose behind and Brett like, like you do like you've definitely wanted to help people. Um, if you're in it for self-interest then I, you definitely fall out pretty quick I reckon but like I, I saw a, a, a lot of opportunity like part of the values that I always try to put out there is less ego you know because I, sometimes I look at the spirit, the spirit and community and a lot of, you know, type A personalities and sometimes there's a bit too much chest beating and not a lot of substance behind things. And I just, like, and I thought, well, there's not much room to be a learner in that space. You know, like, you can't come into that scene and, you know, be a learner and feel comfortable. Straight away, you're going to feel anxious being surrounded by egotistical people. Like, one of the coolest things about doing jiu and I think you've done a fair bit of, as well, is, like, you know, the culture there is so supportive. Like, w- you walk in on your first day and you're a rank amateur terrible and people just couldn't be friendlier, couldn't be nicer. They're all savages when you get on a mat with them or whatever, have your free rolls. But even then, they're quite graceful with you if, as long as you're not trying to muscle them straight up and you just you, they can see you are trying to learn. And I, I like that. And then I looked at Spearfish and I was like, we did not have any of that. We just, um, no. someone throws you a gun jump in the water, and a single swim, baby. You know, like, oh, there's a fish going and shoot it. And it's like, well, what about equalizing? How do I learn about equipment? Where can I go? How can I find dive buddies? Um, what about all this freediving technique? How do I look after my mates? All these basic things. they No one really formally shows you unless you've got money and pay for a course. And so I thought, well, I can learn how to become a better spirit myself because, like you said, when I started the podcast, it's probably like, two or three years into it uh maybe a little bit more but definitely pretty fresh man never owned a boat I've never been but I've still never really been proper blue water hunting even now um and I still consider myself a noob like I um I teach I'm an instructor now I I can rattle off all my figures if you want I I don't think they matter but like I I um I I love teaching people but I, I I still don't consider myself some grandmaster I'm just like I just love spear fishing. I love people who've been doing it a little while, and um, yeah, so it's all kind of the synergistic thing, which is cool because you know, I, you know the fi- there's a financial sort of side of it that um, it's definitely not something that where you're going to retire from your day job quickly, like like I said, I've been doing it 10 years. But I love spear and I love people, and I actually love podcasting too, to be honest, so there is a
0: synergy there for me, like I said. I think you're right with the podcasting thing. It's funny. Uh, it seems like a task trying to organize and get everybody linked up. And then every time I do a podcast, when I, it's like meeting a, a new best friend, I just feel like after you get off the thing, it's like, oh man, you're, you're, it, it's like, it's like having the best conversation and you get away and you're like, oh, I've restored my faith in humanity. Like these guys are, there's a yeah. lot of good people out there. hundred uh, percent.
1: Yeah. It demystifies people. Um, and then th- th- there's a whole lot of benefits to podcasting that are non-financial. You know, you, you meet people, you make connections. Um, I get invites all over the world to go and dive all sorts of stuff. Unfortunately, I've got four boys and a, a full-time job, plus an bureau, So my time and opportunity to go away and make the most of some of these opportunities is not there. But, like, man, if you were, like, a late teenager, early 20s, and, like, it would be a really cool project to start if you were, like, all right, I'm going to go travel the world spearfishing. By the time you went to do it in your mid twenties, you'd actually have a network to do it. Um, I've definitely got that now, you know, and uh, it's been cool. Like one another thing I really loved about it is introducing the world to people. Uh, int- well, int- yeah, introducing the world of spearfishing to different people and different products. Like a lot of the stuff in spearfishing, the companies they're pretty small, man. Like even when you hear about the massive brands, like. Rob Allen and Rife, you you look at the factories and the people behind it. They're just regular people, and um. So when you introduce, you know, the spearfishing world to those people, you're helping them grow. And and I like they're just regular people grow, trying to do stuff that they love, which is it makes make cool stuff for spearers. Yeah, that's a that's
0: a really good point. Just how for the younger guys it, it, I feel like it's a cycle right like you want all this stuff then when you get it you don't have the money or the time to use it <laughs> you know and for me what's happening is now that I've been doing this and and like you said it's the same thing i got friends all over the place or invites everywhere and um my son just went to college my daughter's driving now and it was like that all happened in a week and all of a sudden it was like my wife and i finally had more time like a lot more time to then kind of engage in dating again our relationship oh, and like life. you know. Um but uh it's slowly little by little trickling back into actually having time where you don't feel and money. Um although I don't know college is expensive too, but um <laughs> you know a little bit of money, just more time to be able to do these things. So Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, there's you know, there's just so many cool people out there and different styles of diving and different like fish and the way you know like what the guys in australia and even like rob allen in south africa like the way they are the fish they're shooting with the guns they have and the diameter shafts and chris coats you know and and their philosophy is totally opposite than us californians which we've talked about before with our giant wooden guns and all that but um it's just cool to see how many different ways to skin a cat so to speak like yeah. um and again just how cool uh the, the really the spearfishing world in the world is out there with all the different places to hunt
1: uh um, it's an easy easy conversation to have too i think because everyone shares that 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 just froth for for, for the spirit life you know and and how they how they do it you know like it's an e- it's, a, it's an easy way to start a conversation with someone because you already share this this love for something
0: right right i um yeah i i do love it as much as i oh, i got to try to schedule this and you i feel like you could if you could link everybody up if you could make a list out of every because like, i get it oftentimes hey you got to have this person on your show you can make a list of a thousand people oh. that are so unique and so cool and it's just with me personally now that I you know I was coach of football and now that's over it's like now I have more time but trying to link up oh how much time do you have in the week oh, I'll have two hours at this time you know mm. where my wife's not going to be like so let me get this straight you're at work all day you're doing this you're diving then you want to schedule a pop- what's left for us you know so it's got to yeah. play that balance and um, like yeah with you so you're, you're from New Zealand. You grew up in New Zealand. Can you just give us a little bit of background about how you kind of turned into Shrek, like <laughs> from being the young boy Shrek to the diver Shrek to the whatever scuba diver Shrek to spearfishing yeah. Shrek. Yeah.
1: So New Zealand's like, um, New Zealand's a really cool place. Like it, it's everything you see on the TV commercials. Like um, very outdoor lifestyle driven. Um one time I took a girlfriend there and she was like you know, like it's like one she said, it's like one big farm, you know, like <laughs> like it's just so rural, you know. And I grew up in a part of New Zealand called Taranaki. It's uh on the west coast. Um so I have that in common with the with your Californias, like um and is rugged. Uh rugged sort of black black sand and um water's do- dirty a lot. So I grew up sort of boogie boarding, surfing, uh, sorry, is that bodyboarding? Do you
0: call it boogie boarding over there? You I call still call it boogie boarding. Cause I <laughs> was like, started doing it like three, you know? So it's,
1: yeah. Yeah. Nose guards and all the other awesome things we get called. Um, yeah. like I did, um, competitive swimming, uh, pool life saving, um, surf life saving. And I just love the water. Absolute water baby. Grew up though. Um, didn't do that well at school. In fact, I did. Ter- terribly really I cr- crushed my confidence really as a young man um uh, New Zealand school system was not not good for young men when I was growing up that's for sure um and then I think I was about 17 unemployed sitting around home sleeping in and mum and dad gave me an ultimatum you know like um you're gonna have a job or you're gonna be on a course by the end of next week otherwise you know you're, you're out on your ass pretty much and um I found this adventure tourism course and, uh, part of the course, it was about, you know, serving that whole industry in New Zealand, but part of it was you got to do, I think we went through to rescue diver level and, uh, and, the uh, SSI, which was scuba diving. And I absolutely loved it. Like it was just so cool. Um, even on that course, we were like chasing lobster in 20, 20 meters of 60, 70 feet of water. Um, which was, which was just so cool. It was sort of. Got me right into the underwater world and started, started, um, stalking and mucking around shooting butterfish in New New Zealand, even then. And then I ended up, um, falling in love with that idea. And the guy, the guy who taught me to scuba dive, he, he loved it that much. He was a dairy farmer, like he, he owned acreage. He was, and, and he loved it that much that he built a dive well on his farm like a five metre, fifteen feet deep dive well on his farm. This guy absolutely frothed on on scuba diving and, and catching lobster pretty much. Or well, crayfish as we call them in New Zealand. But um, anyway, he instilled this passion in me and I absolutely loved it. And then um, but he only taught through I think we went through a dive control specialist under SSI and then I um, found another dive school on the other side of the country, um, further north and they it was paddy though, but I switched over and did a master scuba diver instructor uh, course with him. But that guy was at the opposite end of his, um, career. He was dry and lifeless. Like he absolutely hated people. And, uh, he did everything he could to destroy my passion for teaching and my love for scuba diving. They so came out of that a little bit deflated and then, um, ended up just falling back into sort of the blue collar work, working in a meat works and things like that, uh, um, playing in sort of garage bands with a mate and actually a few of us decided let's travel the world together get out of Taranaki because it was just a small rural place in New Zealand and so I fell away from the water for a while but we we me and the drummer uh immigrated to Brisbane and we were going to launch our uh, world travels from here and um we, we neither of us made it further than Brisbane for many years which is funny but started another another sort of band and uh, I think probably five years later, I've, I sort of muscled up probably enough money to um, buy an entry-level kit, and uh, met met another mate, and he um, was equally keen but equally green, and so we 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 commenced blind leading the blind attempts at spearfishing, and um, like I remember jumping in at places where you're not even allowed to go, uh, with no idea really about species ID, because. I didn't grow up in Australia, so the species were kind of uh, all new to me. And just and and off southeast Queensland, where I live in Brisbane, here it's um, the array of species is is like amazing. Like we're we're in that sweet spot where you know um, sort of we get the northern range of the temperate water species, we're in the subtropics, but we get proper tropic species here as well. And um, so the the sheer like volume. The total number of species you could take off brisbane on any given day is it'd be north of 500 species i'd imagine like if you're all said and done if you really wanted to you know, probably commonly you could shoot 150 something in. um so like you know that acquisition of all those species is pretty tricky um mike who i was started sparing with he used to get seasick like even in enclosed water um he, he would be vomiting into a snorkel and swimming back in after an hour and i'd carry on by myself, but like I said, it was blind leading the blinds, um, did not have the best gear, did not have a, the budget for it. Definitely did not have a boat and, um, owning a boat in this part of the world is kind of essential, uh, cause the shore base spearfishing is pretty garbage to be honest. Um, there are times of the year where it's great and I, I love rock hopping. We call it rock hopping here. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of the brief cliff notes, I reckon, Brett.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent story. Um, Going all the way back in, because I have kind of similar situation with the school, what was it about the school that just killed your confidence? Was it? Did you have like a learning disability or was it just your just struggle or
1: Now, nah, funnily enough, I, when I re-entered um, education years later at university, I absolutely thrived. I, I found no troubles learning at all. I am a little bit of a self-directed, autonomous type person. Like, a little bit entrepreneurial, which probably doesn't gel well with a formal learning environment. But uh, New Zealand's school system um, in my parents' generation was very uh, male-oriented, competitive environment, um, and sort of performance-oriented. The the pendulum in New Zealand swung too far the other way, and they tried to create this really inclusive um, sort of i don't know a different a different mode of learning really to to cater for everyone so no one gets left behind but i think mostly the bokes get left behind in that mode of um of, of of the way they they did school then um and we we're just in public schools i did have a year in a in a private school but just just never gelled uh, i wasn't very socially intelligent i don't think and um also just the the i don't know I think being a critical thinker when you're 15 or 16 is not really, it's not really allowed. You're not really allowed to ask any questions. I think I, I didn't get the best run of teachers either, if I'm honest. And um, I, I came out of New Zealand. I think most people they don't really realise it, but we we almost get indoctrinated into this socialist sort of view of the world. And um, it wasn't until years later where I really started to read a lot, and um, that I, I really started challenging some of the ideas that i I'd just caught uh, during secondary school. I, I don't think that it was the best worldview to to um, to um come into adulthood with. So I had to reshape a lot of those ideas and stuff like that. So yeah, that, it's funny because traveling, you, you, I talked to American school teachers when I was walking across Spain, and um, they were talking about how New Zealand's this model of the best education in the world, and I was like, well, not where I grew up. Yep. <laughs> But maybe it was just my own personal experience too. So, well,
0: wow, it's interesting. I'm um, yeah, talking to uh, Ollie Craig too a mm. little bit offline about New Zealand and and um some of that stuff too. It's like you know, it's it the pen somewhere's in the middle, right? But there's this yeah. knee jerk reaction. and It's like right and left. It's process based versus product based. You know. And, uh, we did the same thing. No child left behind. And from what I've seen as a parent is we just lower the bar so low and say, yeah, you're good to go, but we're not actually like raising anybody up. We just lower the bar down and then we get put in the regular world and they're, you know, the kids are, um, just behind compared to other places yeah it's pretty well yep. that's a whole nother show i guess but um
1: yeah <laughs> that's a, that's our other uh, podcast brit the political one
0: yeah yeah we'll get into that oh geez um and uh so that's interesting though that um the the species i would say the same thing that i've ever heard about with the crazy thing about that region of the world which you are in australia like you get those those currents but you get such a variety of fish and then you go just a little bit north or a little bit south not that far and relatively speaking the u.s it's like it just changes dramatically the the coast the water um yeah because it's like i remember it was like joking around about it like it in australia especially where you're at it's like you can get attacked by a tiger shark or a great white like either way <laughs> and like, you know yeah. pick your poison um uh, mako recently mako's been oh no, yeah Yeah, that's bad news. Did someone recently get attacked by a mako there? No,
1: no, no, not attacked. Just like, um, but when a mako buzzes, you're like, I haven't actually experienced it personally, but, uh, I've had a few people around me talk about it and it's just, uh, I've been line fishing when we've had like a four meter one, um, just go berserk, but that was actually in New Zealand, but like, they're just such a crazy shark, unpredictable, fast. They just,
0: Yeah. It's like a it reminds me of like a Belgian Malinois versus a German Shepherd. Like they're just mm-hmm. an amped up version of a Great White. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, super cool fish, though. Um, So, what was it for you? Like you did your scuba diving, you got into with your buddy. um, You're uh, just kind of blindly in the blind, which I think is really the case for so many of us, including myself, um, where that learning curve is. It's like, you're just slowly learning one thing at a time. And then I, the internet was discovered. <laughs> and then I got on the internet. I say it was discovered by me like 10 years <laughs> later after it was developed. And I was like, wow, there's so much information on here. Uh, <laughs> and the learning curve is a little steeper. But uh, what was it for you that was kind of your, I, like how did Noob Spiro come about? Like, what was it that was like, I want to do this?
1: Yeah, cool. I was, um, working in this, uh, plasterboard factory, funnily enough, making, um, and I, anyway, I sort of oversaw the the takeoff area. So all the board would come out of like a kiln and I had to operate all this machinery. I saw it was automated, but then when it sort of went to shit, like you'd have to be really onto it. But honestly, for sometimes 11 out of 12 hours of the shift, I would just be sitting there on my butt doing nothing. So I started listening to podcasts and. Um, this, this podcast um, run by a former uh, U.S. military go- um, member was um, Entrepreneur on Fire. And uh, this guy did, uh, John Lee Dumas was his name. He would interview seven entrepreneurs, one every day. Um, and I started listening to that, and I just, like, I was just intrigued, like, kind of opened my eyes up to the possibilities of what you could do. Basically, the, the, the core idea that I got from him was, like, find a tribe of people that, that needs stuff, you know, doesn't matter if you're a learner or you're a master, you can kind of, you can serve these people wherever you're at in your journey, you know, and, uh, find this tribe of people and then just create cool stuff for them. And then you, you build a community around providing value and, um, and then you can build a business out of it. Anyway, so I I thought, well, that sounds cool. And I'm I'm loving this podcast vibe. I love spearfishing. So here we go. And I, I could see a lot of like problems. I, I, I struggle with a lot of them myself. And so I thought, well, here's a good way to um, to sort of extend out and meet a whole bunch of cool people that teach us all how to become better at spearfishing, and and then uh, and then away it went. And uh, at the same time, I I joined um, some pool training run, run here in Brisbane by a guy called Wayne Judge. Um, it's now called the Brisbane Bull Sharks, but it was even before it was a a, a proper club. Um, Wayne had a this eight week sort of pool training um regime i guess where he would whip us all into decent shape for spearfishing and built into it was safety but you know you you sort of work your way through fitness and then into co2 tolerance and then uh, o2 tolerance and at the back end of it you can sometimes do some max swims and stuff in a supervised environment and all the way through you kind of refine your technique yeah while we were doing that I, i met turbo and a whole bunch of um other blokes that i used to go spearfishing with uh, we call it the POS crew. Uh, we're all pieces of shit. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, we had a lot of fun. And, um, you anyway, know, Turbo had this this thing about it and we just had some pretty good, good laughs. And so I actually called a business meeting with him in our local McDonald's. <laughs> and uh, I pitched to him the idea of Noob Spiro. And um, so he jumped on with me. And so for the first 100 episodes of Noob Spiro, I had a co-host, which was Turbo. Uh, unfortunately, like, you know, life cha- life situations changed, and um so he, he you know he moved on, but I've I've carried on. I think yeah. So yeah, that's kind of that, and that's that's kind of how that all took shape, I guess. And new spirit continued to evolve from that. You know, like we we wrote our first book together based on the first fifty interviews we did, and then um still doing books and stuff now. Like we recently. Crowdsourced the ninety nine spare recipes. I think you got a couple of copies. Do you have a couple of copies there, Brett?
0: Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. That. That's kind of the brief story, man.
0: Yeah, it's funny hearing that your whole your whole story. Just that little brief bit was like, okay, that's yep, check, check, check. Like I was (laughs) working on a book. Same thing. Like it's just like, yeah, I wonder why that is. Like it's like I got all this information in audio form why don't I just put it into a, uh, you know, with all the information I got from a lot of our guests, my own experience, but like, what a great idea just to kind of put a bunch of notes down or a bunch of whatever for yeah. people that are learning, you know, like beginner's guide to something. And I did mm-hmm. I think I was telling you I'm not I amount of you said I did a beginner's guide post for here in San Diego, just locally. And yeah, I, nice. that thing had like, I think it was like 12 pages long, but that thing had like, I don't know, thousands, like 10,000, 15,000, maybe 16,000 views. Nice. And, uh, I was like, man, that's really helpful. Well, why don't I just make a book like that? Just a, you know, steroided out version of that. And, uh, yep. yeah. And I always remember looking at what you did and just thinking, okay, I'm five years behind. Yeah cuz you know what no and i mean in a good way like okay i'm starting out here okay what was what would the guys do because at the time turbo was still there and uh just looking to you as the example of what is possible with this and so like for me it's an honor i mean you are always so helpful and it's really an honor to uh to just say thank you and an honor to be able to uh know you and and see you lead the way for all of us because i do think that there is a genuineness about you as well and and just trying to do it for the right reasons and it was just such a great role model to the point where i've even said why am i even doing this like at some point i should just i got other shit to do um (laughs) shrek's got it he's crushing it like why i
1: i never view it like that you know like in in and when you and John come along, like, um, cast and spear and they've got spear factor, I always just view it as like, sometimes spearing is very like geocentric too, you know, like yeah. you've got tribes and they, they're, they're kind of locked into areas, you know, like I'm not going to serve California as well as you are. Definitely. I'm not going to serve the whole continental US as well as you are, because just the, the reality of it is, is that like a lot of Australians don't want to listen to an American accent. A lot of Americans don't want to listen to whatever my accent is these days. You know, but also like you think it's differently so about things, and like you said, like you you come into it with more experience than I did, and you you were well traveled. You'd done a lot of blue water stuff, and um, that experience does come through in some of the questions you ask, and sometimes with your guest selection. So I always sort of I view it as a rising tide, man. Like I I, I always sort of see everyone as serving different different parts of our community, and I think together it's a rising tide. You know, that's yeah. kind of the way I look.
0: No, I, I appreciate that. And, um, I, I do agree with you. It's, it's what I learned was from listening to your shows and different guests is to be totally honest. It seemed like, um, our culture here in Southern California can improve greatly <laughs> the way we do things. Sometimes, uh, you know, it, it, you look at Australia, I guess, cause maybe Australia is just such a massive landmass, but 90% of the population lives on the coast. Um, there's not like this, and maybe it is, I, I, I don't know enough, but it seems like there's a lot less competition of resources and ego, like competition for spots and things like that than there is here locally. Um, even in Cal, I mean, I know Florida's the same way, and I, so it just seems a little different than in other places of the world. And it's cool to be like, Hey, I like that. I'm going to take a little bit of that and put that yeah, here yeah. and try to get that water, that seed, hopefully that'll grow into something. And then uh, even just south of the border here in uh, Mexico, um, it's like a big party, you know? Yeah. Everybody's dive, Nobody cares about the, I mean, yeah, we got fish. Let's just make some fish tacos and drink some beer and, you know, uh, whereas it's definitely more of a, uh, definitely a culture swing from one place to another. And I think other places might do it a little bit better than we do. Um, but it's funny though, because you meet everybody individually and everybody's great. And yeah. I just think we all fall victim to this, what we're supposed to be like. Like, I remember what people think in the Midwest here in the middle of the United States, what they think of what a Californian is. And mm. then us as Californians try to live up to that because they think because like, that's where we're supposed to be like, no, you know, <laughs> but you know, whatever. There's some truth to that too, though. Um,
1: there's a little. Of- I think I think one thing is, like, when you do interview people from all over, there is stuff that we can borrow from everywhere. Um, there's definitely a strong spirit and culture where you are, you know, and you guys have got such remarkable conditions yourselves. Like, I, I always look at the kelp forests in different parts, and I like it. I've seen some wicked soundtracks with the way the light cascades through a kelp forest. That's part of the world that I want to spend time in. You know, like, I need to see it's just... um it's an amazing thing. White sea bass, like, um, you know, like the Channel Islands, even your yellowtail and the way you guys hunt them is different. Like, I, oh, yeah, I would, I would love to come over there and, and, and experience it. I think one thing with the spearfishing podcast and, 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 and YouTube channels as well is like, you can kind of see what they're doing. And then you get this vicarious sense of like, oh, I really want to experience that for myself, you know? And we've probably um, opened up the world of spearing tourism a wee bit.
0: Yeah, that's great cuz I mean it helps people out money-wise um and also I I, I kind of look at it too, the more people get a glimpse at the environment the more they're going to care about it and they don't even necessarily have to get in the water like they can just um experience it through our our lens and maybe go wow I didn't even know about that that's possible that's cool um so you know that will help hopefully um In a good way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think so. I I, I think
1: one thing too, though, is like you were saying before about like in populated areas, there's a lot more sort of perception of scarcity of resources and maybe competition doesn't bring out the best in us. I I think everywhere where you've got a a big population, any sort of city over a couple of million people, inadvertently, when the sparing population grows and the recreational fishing grows and there's still commercial fishery, we, we end up putting, um, Pressure on our local fishery, everything within a hundred kilometers, and then there, or or, or sorry, like sixty miles. Sorry, Um, you know, and then we have to, um, we have to really, you know, tighten up bag limits, but also our local senses of ethics with regards to size limits and species that are vulnerable to spearfishing. We have to kind of be onto that, and um, you know, you don't want to allow fisheries to determine our ethics for us. I think a lot of the time because You know they're just so non-responsive. They're not, and then it's often an jerk rather than you know. And I wanted to chat with you a little bit about it. Like I think in California, I'd love to hear more about it. But you know, your your sheep hit that they are vulnerable to spearfishing over here. We have black spot tuskfish in the southeast, and the minimum size limit is pathetic. You know, if they get one breeding cycle out of at minimum size, I would kind of be surprised. I think because most minimum size limits, like, allow the species to have one theoretical breeding cycle before we remove them. Um, these fish are remarkably slow growing and they're quite dumb, and they're they're very curious. So they they swim up to us, and you know it's cool. They they're like when they're a big animal, it's amazing, you know. But when they're sort of a, a moderately b- big animal or, or, or minimum size, they as you get more experience, you kind of just like, well, I'm not going to shoot that, you know? And um, and I, I think you guys maybe have the same situation there, and I, I think that that is a role that older Spiros can play in, in, in influencing the newer guys. What what do you think?
0: Yeah, I think you're 100% accurate there. It sounds very similar, like you said, the California Sheep's Head. Um, I think it's almost like a maturity thing, and I don't... As you grow and diving and stuff or experience almost like you've been there done that um what would be the point of shooting this massive sheep's head that is you know you saw him like i've had this i've had this dilemma so much because even just recently there was a big trigger fish and uh probably was a world record and i have it on footage you can't really tell but it was massive and I've always wanted a world record. I think that would be the coolest thing, you know, um, for my kids and stuff. Like, but I looked at him, he was by himself, you know, it, it sounds super, super kind of funny, but you're like, you're diving and he comes, swims right up to you. And you're like, what's up big guy. You've probably been on this reef for a long time. And I was diving in the kind of area and, uh, he's probably just coming up. He doesn't even know what I am, you know, So yeah. As a friend of mine said, there I was the third diver he's seen there in 40 years. Um, so it's like, do I shoot you in the face? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's just, I, that, it didn't sit well. And I, you could see in the footage, I got my 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 gun pointed right at him, and I'm sitting there just running through all this scenario in my head. Why wow, to a world record? It'd be cool, but that's not really why I do this. Like, yeah. Um. And the same goes with like a big sheep's head, I think, or just bigger sheep's head. You know, the, the thing with the sheep's head, and it's like most fish is why always, I think we collectively always try to stress like, hey, you know what role that fish plays in the environment before I pull the trigger. And each fish, different stages in their lives play a different role, like bigger sheep's head eat urchins they don't really switch over to urchins until they get a little bigger so and then we complain about the kelp forest being taken out by the urchins but then we're smoking all the big sheep's head so you know so there's that and again this is i'm not blaming anybody um but for us like our ethos or our i don't know value system or whatever it is it does vary it if mine's not dictated by the laws. I'll say that. Mine's definitely dictated to what I personally feel and justify and rationalize. A lot of people can rationalize yep. stuff, but that's just me. So someone might say, Yeah, Brett, you shot two broomtail uh Ruper, and they take, you know, fifteen years to grow that size. Um, but then you don't turn around and shoot a sheep's head. Um mm. or or a big sheep's head. Um I might take a sheep's head here and there, uh, probably once or twice a year um but really um so there's like that rough how do you rationalize that and i go well, i rationalize that based on this data this data this data um that's where i'm at but the point is that we're thinking about it and i think just thinking about it is probably and being cognizant of it is more appropriately like more effective than somebody passed this blanket rule um you know that doesn't probably Hasn't hardly spent doesn't need or water,
1: and it doesn't educate people either on why they've made that decision either. Like, um, right? I almost feel like a lot of the, you know, the fisheries management, every single area could do with having their own podcast in order to discuss and disseminate the information around why they've made particular decisions and why they are doing the certain things that they are doing, and they can talk about why they didn't use different management practices or different things like some of the management practices that they use do more harm than good you know, like talking about maybe leaving big sheep's head I don't, I, don't, I, particularly, I don't have much I don't have any expertise on it, it's not my fish, but like here in, in, in Queensland like they will create a, 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 a no fishing zone or whatever and some species like coral trout will grow so big that they eat everything else on the reef and we have a upper size limit as well uh, we've got a slot size for that that fish mostly because the bigger ones can have cigatera um but that we're creating an ecological imbalance because they all even the juveniles are their own species and they just decimate everything and they will own that bit of reef and um so it's like i don't know i like hearing the bigger conversations about why they're choosing particular management strategies and things like that and yeah it's something i want to get into a little bit more is is probably helping them to to rational to disseminate that information because i think people people make better decisions internally when they have the information yeah um having these simplistic like bag and size limits and rules is great but like a lot of people just want a little bit more than that they want to know the why you know and if they know the why then they they're going to be able to tell other people and it's we're not just relying on these laws to you know Tell us how to, you know, cook eggs or whatever, you know?
0: Yeah. And then the other thing is you can apply that logic to other areas, um, not just that particular zone or reef. So Mm. like to a greater same kind of rules, like, Hey, if I go to this reef down here, four hours from my house and it's loaded, um, okay. I can take maybe two. Yep. Um, where at home I might take only one why oh i yeah. noticed this or that and maybe if i take you know but we have the same thing in florida with goliath grouper where they're just massive they'll eat everything and yeah you know and it's like it seems like they're chasing their tails the fisheries and everything's yep. uh reactive instead of proactive and then we create this problem like you know the garibaldi is the california state fish every hole you look in there's a garibaldi well, I'm not sure. I'm not educated enough on it, but I do know that an overpopulation of one species does have an impact for something. Yeah. And it's usually a chain uh a chain of events like a chain link that goes all the way up the food chain. Um yep. So I don't know, but I I really hope that we just blindly push the I believe button that the people making those decisions are 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 taking those things into account. But the sad thing is when you do meet some of them and you talk to them, you realize as a diver, as a, you know, more than a lot of people from now, it may not be in the academia world, but we do know a lot. The problem that I have, going to get in my soapbox here in a second. Problem that I have is some people, I say some, is that nothing is valid in, unless you have time in a classroom. Like you have no validity no fisherman knows anything. Nobody knows anything unless they were have a fucking bachelor of science degree in biology. And you're yeah. like, that's not true. Like that doesn't mean that this person with 40 years experience fishing these areas has nothing to offer. You
1: know? Oh yeah, I've seen. You find the same. You find the same thing in the terrestrial world. Like you, you can talk to someone with a degree in environmental science, and you can talk to a farmer, and then the farmer will know shitloads more than them about. Every facet of their land, and it's because they've observed. They've observed at a ground level, and like most, a lot of people, and and I'm putting farmers in this box, and not all of them, but if if you're a smart person, a thoughtful person, and and you love your farm, and you you know you want the best for the land and your animals and crop yields and all the rest of it, you're gonna put a lot of thought into it. And um, you know, someone that's done five years of intensive study, learning how to. Uh, How to how to understand an environment from a particular field of study—that's a great bit of knowledge, but it it, it doesn't it doesn't diminish the other person's knowledge either. I think sometimes that's why conversation is such a a big thing, and having the maturity and humility to be able to just ask other people what they think about things. And sometimes you put those two things together, and it's it's better. I think fisheries management could benefit from it. You know, like citizen science is pretty cool. Like I would love to see more spiros involved with it, but a lot of speeros are so. I mean, uh, we're busy for a start, but um, it'd be cool to see more, more of us represented on some of these in these some of these conversations that are had with academics. You know, because our anecdotal bro science and but you know just, <laughs> just 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 observing the environment, the natural environment without without streams of bubbles flowing out of us, like we 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 see stuff that they don't, and uh, we can contribute to those conversations and help them make better decisions. So
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think if you can even combine maybe 40 years of being a farmer and have an education. Yeah. Well, wow, that's a very, yeah, yeah. very squared away person. I've got friends like that. It's like, wow, you know, your crap, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. and the other thing too, is like fishermen guys on the water, top of the water can fish. Yeah. We bring something just so unique because we're in it. We're diving, we're seeing it, we're watching it. So if we've been fishing for 20 years or they're going to have their inputs, but we've been in the environment for 20 years and it depends on frequency and all that stuff. But mm. um, we've seen it firsthand as well. We've seen size limits. We've seen the impact certain rules will have. Um, you can go to these no no um, no-take zones and just see the massive size of these fish in there. And it's cool. My issue was that, they have these closures, but what are the plans to open them back up? And how are you going to, are you going to cycle it? Like, what is the overall yeah. long-term plan? Because now, because I do care about the animals, I do love them. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, if you opened up some of these zones, those, that five years or 10 years of work would be decimated in a day mm. because you'd have this fish that has no clue generations of you know people snorkeling look at him swim right up to somebody only today he gets shot in the face it's not really like sporting or fair and then you know i could see the post now everybody's got their giant fish it's like (laughs) yeah you know like um um so
1: I i like um i like that management practice you're talking about like cyclical closures like in the great barrier marine park they um they are starting to do that where they'll they'll shut a reef down for two years and then uh, but they rotate their closure. I actually think it's pretty cool because um, it gives coral, uh, that, particularly your hard corals, chance to recover from anchoring. I love seeing fixed moorings in some of these places, but like it can be weird. Like you're 150 kilometers, sorry, uh, 90 miles off the. Uh, uh, <laughs> we uh,
0: just start the right there. Okay. Well, there- there- yeah. metric system uh, makes more sense once yeah. you learn it, it really does yeah. and the rest of the world we as the US need to get our shit together and get on the yeah. same page but I swear yeah. it's literally us just saying no we're different, we're better
1: <laughs> I reckon we should compromise because like we spell globalize with an S, like I'm sorry <laughs> it's a Z sound at the end there, let's just we'll, we'll, we should all compromise and get past some stupidity but you know like you're 90 miles off 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 the off the coast and you can see a fixed mooring and you think well that's an artificial construct in what is beautiful nature but that that artificial construct can save you know 25 boats a year from you know throwing a, an anchor out and dragging it through the reef as it sets you know and 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 unsetting and all the rest of it and and the chain and all the rest of it i'm not saying hey anchoring's all bad but but, you know, like if we do care, then these are the sorts of things we should think about. The other thing that that people, we, we can have a real positive Im- impact on the environment too. Like in the Southeast Queensland here, we've got hundreds of kilometers of just sand. And um, don't get me wrong, there is uh, an eco e- ecosystems love sand and current and, and we have different microcosms because of that. But whenever you have structure, you have life. And um in different parts, like in Florida, they've got a fantastic artificial reef program that I'm envious of. You know, because they they have these patches of nothing, and then you put artificial um, material in there, whether it's old shipwrecks or, you know, like I was looking at the other day, there was this um, job site with like fifty old cement mixes, like the but, but the truck, the truck cement mixes. I was thinking that that would that would make really cool artificial reef. You know, you chain those things together, you get like you get a couple of hundred meters of that. Um, sorry, a couple of hundred yards of that. And then, um, and you know, you, you could really like grow a full ecosystem from that. And so, humanity, we can be of benefit to the environment. And we, you know, we, sometimes all these things need is a bit of structure to thrive. Sometimes I always think fish shows are looked like recreational fishing, whether you're under or below. So, we're looked at a little bit disdainfully. And I think sometimes we can be a part of the, the proactive conversations where we look after stuff. Um, but yeah.
0: Yeah. I think the biggest thing is like, wh- I think whoever we are all need to sit down and say, we all want the same thing. Mm. Like, yeah. Fish
1: for generations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think sometimes we have a do a different agenda because, you know, and we talked about it ages ago when we were talking about sea spiracy and stuff, right. but like, I love to see people immersed in their environment, you know, because it's just, um. That is how you have an appreciation for something, and you truly start to understand it. Just like I think, like you, when you learn to kill stuff, you appreciate food more because you realize there's a cost to it. Just because you buy something in a packet doesn't mean there isn't a cost to it. And I, I think spearfishing is cool like that because it just, um, it just you reconnect in such a dramatic way to your natural environment. Uh, you can't help but develop an appreciation for it unless you like, you know, you like your um sociopath you, or something. Your, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you're you're kind of like your humanity's being cauterized in some way. Yeah, uh, maybe you went through the New, New Zealand school system.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's even even as a byproduct. Like my kids, right? They see it. Like I just did that one post where I bring home lobster. Every you know, everybody loves lobster. Not really in my house. It's funny. They're like kind of over it, but uh, they see that it was a living creature and I bring it home and it's twitching and it's like. Hey, they're going to go, they're going to go night, night right now. They're going to go and, I, you know, and it's like, but that has meaning like that there is something connected to that. Yeah. And I know that, um, my youngest asked me about getting, uh, getting the hunting, terrestrial hunting or, uh, yep. sorry, my, my oldest daughter. And, uh, I was like, okay. I was like, could you shoot a deer? She's like, no, I don't think so. Dad. I, I'm going to start with birds, dad. I'm going to start with the turkey. Yeah, I go, okay. Um, you know, it's just something to think about. Um, and then I go, oh, You're gonna be good. We gotta kill it. We gotta hunt it, kill it, and now we gotta butcher it, basically, or you know. Uh I don't know crap about terrestrial hunting other than like my buddies would go out and shoot rabbits on the farm. Like, yeah, that's you know, so to me it's learning a new thing and it's great we could do it together. And I was like super happy as a dad that she's like, I wanna go hey. hunt something. Okay, cool, we can do that together. Um, so because up until then, her whole thing's basketball. And then, so it's like, finally, you're coming, you're extending an olive branch to come into my world. Okay, I'll, I'll, Oh, that's cool. so it's cool. Um But I really hope that, you know, it's funny because the, the kids like love animals, just like I do. And the fact that they can associate the taking of an animal and then food, all the more reason, like, it's just, it's working, I guess I would say, like the fact that Bring home, shoot, kill an animal. Bring home food. We eat it. Everybody's happy. Um, yeah, I think that will help. I'm just, oh,
1: uh, I, I'd i i'd suggest you get you guys go and do a bow hunting course or something. That'd be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's the plan that's actually. Good. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it was basically arch. You know, under, spearfishing is underwater archery essentially. So yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You'll have a lot of skills, but like I, I'm about to run a spearfishing course uh, over here and i've actually got four bow hunters coming on it so i'm kind of doing the reverse of what you're doing that and some of them run um run run courses too and i was like oh well if when i get some time and opportunity again it's something i'm gonna do i i am i'm I'm a bit like you like i've been hunting like with a rifle but uh i've never done it with a bow and I, i understand there's a fair bit of mastery just in um learning how to be accurate with you know the different stances that hunting requires and um yeah, yeah, so that'll, be, that'll be a cool venture for you, Brett.
0: Yeah, i would be fun. This episode is brought to you by Neptonics Spearfishing. Uh, go check out neptonics.com for the absolute best, most reliable spearfishing gear at some of the best prices in the market as well. Uh, the thing that I like about Neptonics is you know the gear has been tested on there and they're not going to have some generic crap on there. It's all gear that works and people use it every day uh with great results so don't forget to put in the spear factor 10 promo code to get 10 percent off neptonics.com so i get this question a lot as far as can i recommend a charter and i absolutely can lineage charters here in san diego uh does giant bluefin tuna trips uh multi-day trips and Captain Bly is your guy. He's got over 30 years of spearfishing and commercial fishing experience. So be sure to check out lineagecharters.com for offshore action. Well, let's get into that because you had mentioned your course. So mm. Noob Spiro is not just a podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Noob Spiro <laughs> is. What, what all the projects do you have? Because I every time I turn around... One thing, one thing you'd said, and I always, I do remember this Is you're like, I'm trying to build a community, which I respect, I love I just respected it. And every time it was like, you're at Adreno doing a talk or catching cook with like another spearfishing celebrity or whoever it is like in our community, I say art as a global community. Um, what all the projects do you have going on? And then we'll get it like, and one of them is your course. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: This year the focus has been really getting these courses like um, wrapped up and running really well. Um, and when you start a new project, like there's always like this massive, like you have this huge bump of excitement at the start and then the cost becomes more and more evident as you go and the obstacles accumulate and then it feels like you're nine rounds into a boxing fight and um, it's still unclear as to who's going to win um the courses feel a little bit like that like the people that are coming on these courses are just such an incredibly frothy bunch of people like there's something about people that are smart enough to invest money in learning and want to do it with someone that they, they can see that they're going to get some value from so these people come along often I'll have eight on the beginner courses and we dive this artificial rock ball it runs for about a kilometer and um then we've got access to like 65 70 feet off this rock wall um, and there's a whole bunch of different structure along it um, sometimes we'll only have like 10 feet of visibility so it can be crap but then other times we'll have 45 feet of visibility so it can be it can be pretty amazing you know and um, it's current affected so we kind of dive it at the slack tides but um, I'll have an average course we'll have like eight students and then we'll have either two, two instructors and an assistant generally. And, um, we, I do a paddy freediving course for the first sort of day and a half. And then, um, so that involves all of the theory, um, learning how to do a rescue. We work on some of the micro skills, duck diving, equalizing, fitting technique. And, um, and then we, then we, when we have that sort of foundation of understanding how to do that side of it, then we introduce a spear gun. And we do it with like on dry land. So like I literally put like a croc out on a lawn and um, they, you know, have a spear gun. We don't load the the bands, but we pretty much walk out holding our breath. Um, And this actually, this idea came from a student, shout out to Linton. Um, And then we, we, we simulate holding our breath, walking out, and then we get close to the croc. The student pulls the trigger, their buddy runs the shaft out and puts it into the croc. And then they simulate swimming back to the surface, doing their recovery breaths, and then pulling that spear gun and taking the, uh, braining the croc, simulate braining it. So we teach them Mickey and then, uh, bleeding it and then taking it off and then reloading their spear gun and then, um, priming, watching their buddy do the same thing. And, and you know, you think the way you started with the spear gun was you probably just got thrown one and you figure out the shooting line path and all the other drama in the water it's a mess and it's a comedy of errors and so like if you're experienced and you watch someone do this activity on dry land you're like man that's ridiculous but like it it just helps people make all these mental connections and you're for, forging all these neural pathways by the time these people get in the water it's actually far easier to load a spear gun in the water because you've just got the benefit of everything sort of hanging down below you and um Anyway, so that's kind of what we do. And then we I, I set up targets and we do some target shooting. You know, these guys actually learn how to shoot a spear gun in a controlled environment, uh, semi-controlled, and, um, which is something that none of us ever did. We just started blindly firing at fish. And um, so, so with all that information, then we send them off in buddy pairs um, with one spear gun, one rig line, and one float um, sort of between them. And they have turns, and um, we come along and offer further tuition as we go. But um, I am actually having some dramas at the moment with uh, with the Marine Parks Authority. Uh, the, the the wall I'm doing it on, funnily enough, is part of the Morton Bay Marine Park. So uh, after I'd run about four or five courses, um, this ranger hit me up a compliance officer and said, "Do you have a permit for what you're doing?" and um, He was polite, and we had a good conversation over the phone. I was like, "Oh no, no, I don't. Um, I've got everything else. I've got all the insurance and all the rest of it." And um, anyway, he says, "Oh well, you're gonna have to apply for a permit." I applied for the permit, and then he's and then you know it says 45 business days to uh, approval. Meanwhile, I've got like two or three courses booked in, and uh, you know it's like three four thousand dollars if you pull out because it's hard to cancel these things so i'm sort of in this ongoing battle at the moment waiting for this permit to come through or not and um so i'm sort of having to um, adjust my courses so that i'm not breaking the law so this is what i say like nine rounds into a 12 round boxing fight and it's uncertain whether i'm going to win um i can't say the courses are like highly profitable uh yet they are highly popular and uh filling them up a lot of people having great experiences uh I'm getting heaps of reviews on Google and all these other good things are happening. I've got a great team of instructors that I have come with me. Um, shout out to Bree and, and Tom Sandstrom. Um, you know, these guys are just so cool to teach with um, and people are loving it. Um, we, we rent a big house together on this island and do this thing. And But um, as usual, the government likes to get in the way and, and uh, try and ruin a good thing.
0: Did you, um, you're a free dive instructor too as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's, yep. I think I remember watching you on your, uh, on Instagram or something going through that or sharing some stuff from that. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's interesting because I thought about doing all that and I'm like, well, I'm not really Mm -hmm. good enough to be a free dive instructor. Like, you know, but you kind of realize it's more knowledge based, I guess, than performance based, but. Um,
1: like the the performance requirements for paddy freediving instructor are not even very rigorous to be honest um you the the beauty i'm not saying hey paddy's a great organization or anything like that i think all the organizations are kind of i agree with like ted hardy like they're all much of a muchness it's very instructor centric you know if the person in front of you loves what they do and they're good at it then you can have a good time regardless of what agency they're through one thing I like about the paddy requirements so for a freediving course is like it's 10 meters 30 feet um you've got to do that uh, by fins and then one free immersion dive um you do 25 meters dynamic swim in this like swimming pool or swimming pool like environment and uh, I think it's like a minute 30 static or something like that like these requirements are not very difficult and for me like um that's what I want for my students on their first ever course like I don't want to put these barriers to entry in front of them, I want them to be able to pass. Uh, As long as they can equalize, generally all of them are able to do it pretty easily. Um, But like, I'm not trying to teach these guys to be freedivers either. They're getting a a freediving certificate the first level. um, I'm not teaching them highly nuanced freediving technique. I'm just giving them the baseline skills in order to be able to gun spear. I personally think that that's all you need. Um, as As long as you know how to rescue your mate um follow a buddy protocol understand the basic physiology how not to hyperventilate like these these things are i think they're just baseline for for for, for all spiros and i would disagree with you brett like i've seen you dive man you'd you do the instructors course like like there's nothing like there's nothing It's uh, most most diving courses like at the higher end are run in extremely controlled environments it's quite amazing when you leave the spear gun at home, how how, how deep and long you, you can dive if you really want to, you know.
0: Yeah, that's uh, well, that's very true. Yeah, it's you surprise yourself too. But you also surprise yourself how easy it is, where when you're dropping down without a gun, you're like, all I got to do is swim. I got both hands I can use. This is easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I,
1: like I, I don't normally tell stories about depths and stuff because I, I think it's counterproductive and it. it it can be again a bit of part of that ego thing. But when I was younger, um, and I was doing my scuba diving instructors, we spent a month uh, on the, in the kingdom of Tonga on the outer islands called Vava'u, and it's an archipelago like all these tiny islands. But we we were diving these sort of these cold, these fringing reefs on these islands, and then it just drops off into the abyss. And I remember seeing dog tooth tuna uh, then, and no spear gun in sight, obviously. Uh, but I would just snorkel, and like I I um. I found, like, I was, I had pretty, pretty decent ability, like, I met these two scuba divers in the back of a cave in 70 feet, uh, and I'd had no formal freediving training at that stage, and later in the trip, too, like, um, I grabbed hold of my mate's, um, gauge off his, off his BCD, and he and we were at 100 feet, and I, I was not stressed at all, and, like, that was just, um, that, that was, again, without any real training, it was just spending so much time in the water, though, that, Like you, you just start to do stuff and your body starts to make these connections for you. And like, I, I loved it, man. I I honestly, like, I love it. I I feel really at home in the water. Like, and, and if I get extended time in there, like, I don't know, I think I'm a better person.
0: Yeah, no, I'm (laughs) just, yeah, I agree. Um, the other thing too, I think what I've noticed is people with a competitive swimming background, they immediately have like, I don't know if it's the CO2 like tolerance yeah they can just hold their breath like forever Mm -hmm. like guys that played water polo or guys that were swimmers just incredible i want to say by virtue of just comfort but like honestly more than comfort because there's a lot of us that spend time in the water we're comfortable in the water but for some reason their ability to hold their breath is just they're just used to it their bodies are used to it um yeah it's kind of cool to see uh
1: I'm a little bit anemic too. So like I, um, I'll have low iron sometimes and my red blood cells um, volume, I have issues with that, which is like a massive disadvantage when you're trying to um, hold your breath. And I don't actually understand fully how to do it. I haven't had enough blood work done with controlled studies and stuff. But I know that when I'm training, even training in a swimming pool, I have these hu- this huge physiological benefit that translates to all different parts of my life. Because I, I can go out and I, like my breath hold will be absolutely pathetic and I'll be a terrible diver. And then I'll, I'll go out other times and everything's awesome. And it's there's not much difference in terms of lifestyle factors and things like that. It's just maybe it's stress-related, but it's hard some days when you go out and you're just terrible. Um, it's great when you go out other days and you're just awesome. I think you've definitely got to learn to listen to your body. It's just really hard sometimes when you go out and you're diving pathetic and there's good fish around <laughs>
0: <laughs> that and then, like, there's the ego thing, and you're like, dude, yeah, like, there's times, there have been times, and recently where 30 feet felt like 35 yeah. feet felt like, why am I freaking out? Like, what is going on? And then it's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. the harder you try, the worse it gets, like, the worse it gets because you're just so competitive, anyways. And yeah, 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 but then it's weird. But then by the time I think a lot of it is the flexibility, the stiffness, depends on how I'm diving, whatever yeah. it is, but um. Uh, you like you said, everybody's different, but, um, I agree with you. I, I also try not to pay attention to the numbers. I feel like in our community too, there's especially the newer guys trying to figure out how deep they go. There's so much emphasis on numbers and, um, it's not, I think in the long run, it hurts you more than helps you focusing on the numbers, especially as a yeah. spearfisher, fisherman, because I go, look. I'm trying to do the minimal I can to get the most fish. If I got to dive to a hundred feet to shoot fish this big, which I have before, like had to dive deep to get small fish. Um, I might be doing something wrong. I don't know. Like I just, you know, um, but then when you go and officially free dive train, it's great to push yourself, um, safely. Yeah. Um, that's the place to do it. Maybe not when I'm, you know, on a reef with my buddy and I and his bad viz and we can't see each other. Um, but yeah, guilty of that too. Me
1: too. Me too. too. Yeah. Still guilty of that. Oh yeah. I know, I know all the stories. I heard them all. And, um, I'm still the guy I was actually going to avoid talking about it, but I'm still the guy that sometimes likes to get by himself.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. life gets real mad at me too about it, you know, and I always say the same thing. It's real shallow. It's snorkeling with a spear gun, babe.
1: (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I, I'm bad for a break. Like I, I, I preach safety to everyone. And, and when I'm in the water with other people, I generally try, I, I genuinely try to be a good buddy, you know, like I, I, I fiercely try and just do like the Ted Hardy, I call it the bulletproof buddy protocol. Like, you know, we borrow it from scuba diving, you know, like we jump over, cool. You're the leader. I'm going to follow you. When your dive's finished, then I'm the leader and you're going to follow me. And it, and it works. It, it does work. But it doesn't work if you've got an unwilling partner. And um, some days, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a scenario here where I get really pissed off. You go out with a guy, right? And you are a real good buddy for the person. You watch them and stuff. And then, but whenever you turn around back to the surface, they're never there. They're never, And then at the end of the day, they they're like, "Man, you didn't even shoot much fish." <laughs> and it's like. Dickhead! I was—I so spent half my day chasing after you, looking after you. I wasn't worried about fishing. There's other days, though, sometimes where I just go by myself, and I don't worry about anything, and I just focus on what I'm doing, and I have an absolute blast, man. Yeah. Um. And i I'm, I, think I'm, I i think I'm—I—I do not know. You never want to say you're old enough that you risk, risk, um, your risk—risk—um—your knowledge of risk and understanding of yourself is is, is good, because I don't think it—it it is. But you—you you do just try and be conservative, and and um. And you, and you, I think you make that conscious decision like, oh, Hey, I have deliberately watered my only safety device, which is my buddy to, in order to go and do this thing by myself. As long as you take that responsibility on then, you know,
0: it's, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, and the three di- and the, like the free dive recovery vests that are out there. That's something that oh, yeah, it's that. funny. I, I, I can get a pretty good deal on them and I have not bit, bitten the bullet on it and that's it's cool. foolish and I should um and then you know we were just talking about every day is different right and then we justify it when we go dive or like i'll just be conservative today it's like even in 30 yeah. feet of water i'll do it a bit. but then it's like yeah my wife felt you know <laughs> i'm only going 30 feet of water i'm like and then i tell myself oh, i can stay down there for like two minutes <laughs> <laughs> well, it's <not. laughs> but it's like yeah but you're still doing like a three minute you know whatever it is two and a half minute breath hold or whatever um, Yeah. Um uh, yeah, but, um, again, I think it's good to talk about it and show the vulnerability of it as kind of what I've always, I think like both of us will always try to be vulnerable and be honest. Uh, we'll that perfect, um, definitely try to stick with those rules. A good friend of mine, um, Peter messaged me. He won the spearfishing competition. Peter, I got to talk to you about that. his story was so good. He sent me a thing. Hey, I don't know if I should say this, but I, he won the spearfish competition, but he also knocked his fucking front teeth out, upside down, uh-huh. firing at a yellowtail kingfish, and boom, knocked his teeth out, but he won the competition with his fish. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know if I should tell this story, because I feel like an idiot. I was like, no, fuck it, dude. Share it. Because it happened to yeah. me. I just didn't get my teeth knocked out, but I split my chin open at 40-something feet, you know? And I also... Realize after the fact when I fired another time, and a fish was so close it hit me in the snorkel, but it was like a mouthpiece, so I didn't knock my teeth out. But uh, because I was literally like five feet of water, I go. Every one of us has done it, like, and if you haven't, then okay, cool, fine, your day will come. But like, who yep. cares, dude? Just show the vulnerability. The funny is like, it's the world's most expensive fish because my fucking teeth. First, he was in pain, and he's like, and then it cost me so much money to get my teeth fixed. But I was like, "Hey, you know what, dude? You got the W. Who gives a you shit? Won. You won. Who gives a shit? <laughs> you got the <to> do- <laughs> W. You know.
1: I think that's. Someone said like ages ago. It's like, um, oh, I'm going out to shoot the world's most expensive fish. You know, spearfishing. Like, it's not really as cheap as we make out. Like, no. I, I think, um, you know. The, the amount we spend on gear and the time nice. and the effort, like, uh, when you put it all together, it's not, it's not a cheap way to fish. It's just a, it's just a
0: really fun way. Yeah. Yeah. My mother-in-law uh, loves to give me shit about it. Like, what's the price of tuna now, Brett? $1,200 a pound.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, she sounds like a tag. That's good. Yeah. I think another common one you guys do like, like, yeah, um the recoil from the gun hitting you in the face, Um that's a thats a common one. Another one is like getting hung up on a cleat on the boat when you fall off the back of it. And uh, the amount of dudes I've talked to where they're like, you know, um, the um what do you call it? The beaver tails caught on the cleat of a boat as they've rolled over backwards and they're just stuck there like drowning. Uh, You know, like it's just so common, man. These are like real, they sound real dum dumb, but they're just, it's just, I don't know, heaps too well done
0: them. Yeah, my buddy, he... I watched him tear his suit, just a massive gash in his suit on the cleat, getting in and out of the boat, you know. That was brutal, because, you know, that's expensive. But, uh, yeah, I've knocked myself out getting off a boat onto the dock, stepping, and my sandal got caught in the cleat. And I was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And I could see it, and I just landed. That was at work. And uh it was a it was a closed I don't know, it was just bad. But it like I hit like a fucking sack of potatoes. And I was sitting there one of my coworkers, a friend of mine's like, Brett, you okay, buddy? You okay? And I was like, what a stupid way. Like of all the shit you've been through, I almost got almost drowned in like five feet of water in a dolphin pen one time because I got <laughs> hung up like something on my My gear got hung up or something, and I was like, "I'll just get out of it and I'll go to the surface." And then I took off my BC because it was tangled on behind. I was like, "I'll just go to the surface," but then my my fin got stuck in the net, so I couldn't even go to the surface. Now I have like I'm like grabbing my. I finally I had a hand on my in my order, but I was like, I was just getting ready to dump it, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? I'm gonna drown in three feet of water, like three feet from the surface." (laughs) After everything I've been through with, like, big wave surfing and all this stuff, i want to drown in fucking three feet of water. My buddy was like, that's like Superman getting a hangnail. That's ridiculous. I was like, that's how I felt I- underwater. It's <laughs> just pissed. Um, Yeah, yeah but it's.
1: Mate, used to, I used to lose lo- stuff, like, um, getting hung up with BCD. Like, when we were chasing lobsters, I remember, like, <laughs> One of the guys come up with this idea, you know, you've got tight caves and you try to get in the back for lobster and you're on scuba. I don't, you, I, uh, a lot of people frown, like, this is just the way I learned, like, we're in 70 feet of water and current, um, you know, 10 feet of visibility. But, so we would take our BCDs off and, like, grab your Octi, because I think it had the longest hose on it. And then you would just smash yourself into the caves, into the back of it, so you could try and reach these lobster. And the BCDs just kind of hang in there. Some of the hectic stuff like that, I I just look back on it and I go, "Holy moly, how am I still
0: yeah, we did how I still. We did some shit like that where there was a hole, there was a pipe, and it wasn't. Yeah, it was big enough to where you could swim through, just like if you were free diving, but with your gear on. This is our work diving. You couldn't swim through it, so you take your stuff off and you push your stuff through, and you would (laughs) swim through, and then your buddies on the other end with a big net. Just catching yeah. like everything that comes out. I mean, oh, completely. Wow. This is years ago. I don't recommend it. Yeah. May or may not have done this, <laughs> but it was just a fucking buffoonery. Right? You're like, so much shit could go wrong. Like, it, cause it was like yeah. a good 30 feet pipe, you know? You hear my dog oh, in the background. It's like a 30 foot pipe and it's just raining shit out the other end that's coming out. Cause you shine a light in there, you just see antenna, you see. Stingrays, all kinds of shits hitting you, and you're like, do 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 like eels. Yeah, twenty. I'm like twenty, you know, four years old, just like swimming blindly through, right. closing my eyes, pushing all your yeah. shit through, not knowing, like, dude, if you lost your rag, like it's so dark, I couldn't find shit. Like you'd be so, yeah. like, you know, just stupid. Then it's still
1: out. Oh, it's not like you can get backwards. Oh no, you
0: can't. Like you'd have to crawl back, and I'm not touching the oh, bottom because I don't so know what's stupid. back there. Yeah, yeah. claustrophobia is a
1: thing, eh? Like. I didn't realize that a lot of people do not like scuba diving or free diving because they're actually claustrophobic. They feel like they're shut in by being underwater. And it's just like but being underwater and then being in a cave, like I, I still get the tingles when I, you know, like you'll suss a cave from the surface and you like when you, when you're spearfishing and like caves can be such a rewarding places for fish. Um, and I'm still like this guy that goes down and I'll scout the thing like two or three times before I try and do a swim through or something. And, um, but you, you find that by then you've spooked the fish, but I'm still not brave enough to just go down there and do it all in one go most of the time, you know? And, um, but yeah, it's, just, oh man. I'm glad I'm a bit older and wiser now, but I, I yeah,
0: I don't know. Sometimes, I don't know. i'm i'm a chicken shit with caves i realize that Mm -hmm. guam they're really cool to swim through and even though you're in the thing for like 30 seconds maybe it's such a scary thing because it's like could be trapped it's a psychological thing yeah but yeah i would definitely have my friends all go through it they're going through like okay i'm okay and i might have the longest breath hole out of everybody and i'm still like heart's beating a little bit faster you know
1: yeah yeah it's hard to calm out too and I, I think that's um your body's instincts it's also part of the fun of spearfishing It's that uh encountering risk and then managing it managing yourself and then doing stuff like um it's rewarding it's cool
0: yeah so what's what's next for you like what are your priority or oh, goals yeah. and projects that you got looking forward to um the next year or two
1: you inspired me with your video course. I was, at the same time, I was actually pondering doing a video course myself. Um, and that project's kind of, I think I've got a 1,000 gig of footage sitting there. It re, I, I started storyboarding out and, screen, and doing all the stuff. And um, to be honest, it's been sitting there for about 18 months, just sitting there. I've really tried to prioritize just these courses this year and, get, and getting them really running well. And then um, I'm actually thinking about bringing on more people and opening up more locations because we've kind of got this cool methodology now, the way we sort of teach people the strategic approach. I think we've, I've probably got enough there to start getting other instructors in and then getting, sending them back to wherever they are and, and they can run their own, you know. Um, I was thinking about doing that. I, I'm not sure. I, um, the, the the problem is like um, it's, it's hard to make a lot of money out of it, you know, and I've got four boys and a full time job. You know, like I would love to go full time with Noob Spiro, but it's just, you know, do you, how do you do it? Um, is, is kind of the question. Sometimes, you know, I've always made the choice of just prioritizing impact. And these days I kind of have to be a bit more mature and prioritize income as well because it's just such a big slice out of your time, man. And like you say, like I've got a wife too. And, uh, and, uh, this is my second marriage. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, want a third. I, am really trying to do this thing right, you know, and I'm trying to look after my boys and be a decent dad. So at some point, you do have to start prioritizing, like, okay, I'm going to make some income here, and um, so that's, that, that determines a lot. At the moment, like say these courses, bit of mastery, we're getting these courses really going well. Uh, we finished, I finished ninety nine spear recipes like a year ago. The courses have been a priority. Um, to be honest, it's probably going to be something outside of spear fishing for the next little project we'll see how we go.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, that sounds really familiar to what a friend of mine, John is doing the same thing. He finally buckled down and got a, you know, a full-time job. Um, just because he's expecting his second child on the way. And, uh, I told him, I go, Hey, welcome to the club. Like this is the dad's club right here. This is what we're doing. (laughs) Um, the spearfishing thing is, is a fun hobby. Um, definitely. But, uh, I think the thing was too, is like, I think what the courses we were talking about is trying to figure out a way to make some passive income and still help mm. people and still make a difference, just more passive. Um, and I, and I definitely, now that I did the course the first time and that's like part one, I guess is just, I just wanted to get something out there to see, just to start something and yeah. finish it. Right. Then actually going through it just recently, going back through it, and I'm like, good God, dude, five hours of listening to this, and I'm like, I'm mumbling, I'm rambling. Like, you're just shredding yourself, rightfully so, and you're like, this could be so much better if you had, like, some anime. if you did this, if you did that, did that. All of that, though, equals time, and it's tough when it's just you. Like, if you could pay someone, but then paying someone requires income, and that's investment into Something that is a hobby that may not, you know, yeah, um, it's tough. It's a, it's, it,
1: it becomes something about called opportunity costs. It's like I've got 10 hours spare. What's going to give me my best yield for 10 hours? I can make a spearfishing video course. It's going to take me, it's going to take me a month full time, 250 hours to, to do this video course. Plus, it's going to cost me five grand. Uh, then I'm going to be able to sell this course for 150 bucks a pop. I'm going to sell maybe 100 a year. All right, sweet. How about I just make a video course on how to make podcasts podcast and I charge people $500 for the course and it takes me 10% of the amount of time and I can make way more money and arguably more impact too. It's just, it's you know, I always think what we do is just such a labor of love, man. And people go, oh, 150 bucks for a video course or whatever, what a rip-off. And then it's like you got the people people are just unfortunately unable to understand what the value they've been given sometimes in our spearfishing world i think a lot of us are just the hunting mindset that we have also works economically we're always hunting for a bargain but, you know like yeah gear fishing gear compared to hunting gear is so much cheaper because we're all just absolute tight asses 100 percent. it's great but and I, I don't fault people i'm a bit like that myself like i started with an extreme budget when i started spearfishing and, you know, my courses, like the beginner courses started at 1100 and I'm really having problems putting it up to 1199 because that's probably where I might start making some money. But it's just, you know, would I have paid 1199 to, to go and do a beginner spearfishing course when I was starting? I probably wouldn't have because I didn't, I didn't have access to that amount of money. Um, but if I did it now, like we're in our forties, it is the sort of thing I'd like you're talking about doing a bow hunting course with your daughter. I think it's the smartest way to do it. If you don't have access to that money or you're prioritizing it for something else, these are the choices you make, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I agree, man. It's it's uh it's you're trying to make you're trying to put put out a product that the masses can use, but the masses yeah, but then that just equals you to to do that you have to lower the cost. And I mean yeah. You're not going to make any money. It's tough. And I, I do think that you're yeah. talking about now the podcast thing, on the other hand, might because I've had so many people like, how do I start a podcast? And there's something, yeah. some statistic about the number of podcasts out there is insane. And, oh, yeah. and and how did we do it? Well, we just fucking fumbled, fucked our way through it. like. <laughs> you know, I made every, uh, you know, until I got to, I just had, uh, Brian from uncle learn you how, Hey, about the podcast, he wanted to start one for his brand. Just kind of, um, yep. and I was like, well, what approach are you looking at doing? What do you want video? Do you want this? Do you want that? How much money do you want to spend? Cause here's a breakdown of where I'm at now and I could go mm-hmm. up way more, but I could also go down way yep. more too, with a simple USB bike and zoom, you know, or Skype or something yep um and then yeah how do you want to edit it how do you want to post it how do you want to share it yeah Uh, you know but there is so much value i think in that to more people than it would be to the three people that spearfish you know it's like
1: yeah 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 uh yeah i don't know I, i i look at video courses too like the other thing too like when i went to create the video course i actually and i i I went through your video course as well and i was like ah sweet he's got something done here credit to you like just getting something done and out there is cool it's a great way you you've at least proven sweet i can do it and then after that you can refine it and improve it i always respect people that just have a go and uh you know there's there's that old analogy in entrepreneurship it's like ship it before it's ready right right i think you, you need feedback in order to improve it anyway um and and I think podcasting is the same. I, a lot of people get crippled by, oh, it's not going to be good enough. And it's just like, shit, you just got to get something out there and learn. Um, And I, I encourage people like that all the time. Like, otherwise, I'd, you know, I'd still be stuck in that plasterboard factory, probably doing the stuff I was doing. You know, I could come a long way since Sam, I'm not where I want to be. But like, um, yeah, it's cool. I don't
0: know if we'll ever be, ever be where we want to be just because we have that mindset of, trying to always get one degree better, 1% better, to get better every day. So it's like, it's more of the journey than the, you know, yeah. and the destination. I I, I,
1: I enjoy. And one of the things that keeps me going and, and I, and I'm sure you can relate to this is that the emails, the personal messages you get where you've made a difference to someone, you know, um, I've had a few over the years and they have, um, kept me going in some of the most discouraging parts. Um, and you know, to, to know that you're personally, maybe help, help someone save a life or, um, you know, there's the one guy, um, listened to a po- our podcast on Secretaria. He was careful with the fish and, um, only poisoned himself instead of his whole family because of listening to an episode and, you know, I don't know, stuff like that. It sticks with you.
0: Yeah. When I had thought, I think it was about six months ago, I was like, I think, I, I think Shrek's got it. I'm just going to get out of this and focus on, you know, the fa- whatever it was, right? And, I, and it's funny. I don't know if I don't know if anybody's religious or anything like that. I kind of am, even though I swear like a sailor, but uh
1: <laughs> they tell you, Oh,
0: no, I am. A, yeah, it, I'm a Christian. I uh, you wouldn't know. It. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I always say too. I know you guys don't know, but I'm actually like uh, a yeah. Christian. <laughs> um, yep. uh, you know, right when I was getting ready to get out, I got like three uh messages on Instagram and it was like, "Hey, I just listened to this episode. Loved it. Thank you for whatever." And I was like, "Okay. Maybe some, God give me a nudge. Just keep your head down. Just keep working. It's being yeah. appreciative. And that's really that's really all, all I care about is that you're putting something out there that someone can use. If nobody can use it, yeah, man. nobody needs it, then that's fine. I don't need that to uh, sleep at night. But if people are finding a the value, they do, I'll just keep doing it. It's good.
1: You yeah. Uh, you've had some rad chats. Those... Those two guys down in, um, Baja that are organizing that cop, even though English wasn't their first language, I thought that was a pretty cool chat. And it, it, that's what I mean about, sometimes you're just, um, helping other people, you know, like, right. uh, yeah, you're helping your listeners connect with it, but you're also helping those guys grow their thing. Uh, I reckon that's cool. It's a, it's a privilege to be able to do that. And, um, you, you go back down there, so you've got a couple of friends and, uh, you've, you've straight away, um. Got a bit of a network. It's
0: cool. Yeah, I did their, I did their tournament like the following weekend or two weekends or whatever it was, uh, and yeah. it was a fucking absolute blast. And uh, yeah, you know, ended up diving in a new area with those guys and just had ton of fun. And they were so appreciative because they're like, we really need more, um, t- more U.S. money to come here. Even though they're literally like 45 minutes away, U.S. money to come yeah. over here to help. So they appreciated, I guess, me and the and getting the message out and the other guys too, and uh, it was definitely like a win-win for everybody. And I appreciated the—I uh, don't really drink a whole lot, but I appreciated the two beers that I had and uh, and the fish tacos That's was cool. delicious. So, a lot That's of fun. Nice. Well, uh,
1: as you see, in game these days, you have you, Um, yes.
0: Yeah, so it's gotten, say, it's gotten slightly better. I would say slightly better. Cause I'm always like, if it ain't broke, why fix it? But yeah, yeah you yeah. always try to, you know, so the grouper thing, trying to figure out 10 different ways to do that. Even lobster this year, I was trying to figure out, uh, another way to, I never really boil it or bake it. I always just, uh. Rage, Rage lobster. You've got to do it. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that. So, cause I was like Mac and Mac and cheese lobster. I'm like, I've never had that. It sounds gross, but, uh, I end up having it somewhere and, uh, I'm like, okay, let me try this to keep yeah, nice. the kids interested. And, you know, um, yep. So that's, that's that. And the dry aging stuff, man really is another fucking, I mean, that just tastes delicious. Oh. Dry aging is yeah. really the way to go. The problem is I just don't have oh. the space. Like, Yeah. yeah. Like, um,
1: I just do the poor man's one and you've probably heard me talk about it. No, which one is it? I mean, I got, there's a fish over here called a sawtail surgeon fish. They're like absolutely prolific. Um, super easy to spear. So like super easy. You, they don't catch them on line commonly cause they're like, weed eater. it. Um, those are real scales and, uh, this leathery textured fish with a, almost like these spines in the tail, which is why we call it a sawtail. But, um shoot them in the face, um, get them home, knock the fillets off, leave the skin on if you want, or cut it off, doesn't matter. Um, like paper towel, it dry, introduce zero fresh water. And then um, wrap these things in paper towel, put them in a Ziploc bag and throw it in your fridge for a day. Pull it out, wrap it again in fresh paper towel, and throw it back into the fridge for another day or two. And then um, pull it out and there's your dry edge fish. Super easy. And then um, and cut that up, put it for a ceviche or as sashimi or whatever. Some of the best fish you eat in your life.
0: Isn't it amazing though, some of the fish that's looked at or snubbed is like the best. Yeah. It tastes awesome. We get that.
1: I turned down a Spanish mackerel the other day to shoot a um, unicorn leather jacket. Just because I love the unicorn leather jackets, man. And I did a whole bake on that thing. Because you can just, you can literally grab the fish by the spine and then just tear its head off. And then it's just all good meat. Yeah. And you don't, I don't skin it or anything. Just give it a quick wipe. Um, and, uh, put it in some tinfoil, add a couple of bits and pieces to it and throw it in the oven. And that is just falls off the bone. So good. That's
0: the, that's the, uh, that's the same with coral trout that I've had. My son was like, that's the best fish I've ever eaten. I'm like, that's why people tag them. Yeah. Just the whole fish, the island style, cut it, throw some mayonnaise on it or whatever, and put it in tinfoil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do that with, uh. People like snub opali or uh, burrito grunts here, just like regular reef fish that just eat, you know, weed and all that stuff. And uh, yep. man, I'll tell you what—if you, I mean, if you know how to cook it and you can throw it on a fish taco, it tastes delicious. Like, yeah, and yep. yeah, it's not all about the the photos on. You're not going to be posting photos on Instagram. or Look at my massive. <laughs> like but who gives it look at my best yeah yeah yeah. look at this you know fish of a lifetime like okay cool but it tastes delicious and uh, oh, i think it's man. important to remember that my son reminded me that on, i told the story before on a, on a on our little spearfishing trip before he went to college and he just started blasting these burrito grunts once we ate one the first day he's like that's yep. that's re- that's what the fish i shot him i guess the fish fisher shots burrito grunt it's like tastes delicious. And then We go out the next day and yeah. he's just unloading in the shallows on the <laughs> thing. I was like, okay, dude. Um, and then John and I are trying to dive, you know, deep for a grouper and he's just in the five feet of water, just smoking them. Uh, yeah, but it reminded me, yeah, the That's, whole point is to eat, right? So it's like, how deep can you dive? Well,
1: it, it depends. Sometimes you are getting food, and like I've got four boys, so my wife's always like, oh, we need some fish, you know. So I do go out and I get, I, I go for me right but if 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 the freezer's like if i've got enough fish or i might do some like food fishing at the start of the day or whatever and then i segue into like okay i want to do something challenging now and um and there's a joy in the hunt and the and the figuring stuff out and you know the the firsts of a species but the biggest of a species you know even just like having a rad hunt feel real cool like you know like you you time your drop just right. You like I had this I had this one fish off um off Brizzy. I've told this story a few times probably, but we're we're doing this really fast drift and it comes up out of sort of like eighty feet of water into thirty feet. And uh I sort of you gotta time your drop so you hit the front of the pressure point. That's where everything holds on the front of this reef edge. And um I noticed that there were these three like Tank jobfish, green jobfish there. And, um but it was like you had to just, everything had to be right. You had to hop on the right part of the front leading edge, and then you needed structure to hide behind for them to come in. And I must have spent like eight or nine drifts trying to time this thing right. And I was one of those days where my breath hold was pathetic. Like I was absolutely struggling my ass off to do a minute and only in 35, 40 feet of water, like absolutely struggling, struggle streak. But I managed to time it all right crept up and then um they came in right at the back end of my minute uh and then um I've crept forward and put a long shot in secured this um big big job fish and then um screamed off pulled like a yellowtail and then uh, buried me under a rock laid out on the sand my dive buddy as usual is like 40 meters away um he he swims over and just in time to see these three bull sharks annihilate it and eat it um but the the the, the coolest part of it was like I did nine dives and I did everything right in order to get that fish. I didn't get the fish, but like the whole process was just so fun, man. Like, um, and those, those times, those, 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 those days when things like that happen. Um, so cool, man. It's adventure. It just keeps coming back.
0: Yeah. Adventure. Yeah. Like, uh, recently yeah. too, the same thing. Like my, uh, my buddy and I went down, there was three of us and, uh, we all, drop down on this reef and you're like, oh my God, there's fish everywhere. And so you could be selective and you could be patient. And we both, then like four drops shot, you know, I shot two, two grouper, uh, broom tail, uh, golf grouper. He did the same. I'm like, okay, well, we're done. We've been in the water for like literally a half hour, 45 minutes. We're done. Uh, and our yeah. friend, um, he was, he was not quite as strong as diver as we were, and it wasn't that deep, but um, it was like fifty something feet. But you got to really kind of like you said, you got to hunt. You got to like sit there, yep. wait, just be patient. And he could get down there, but he was like, oh, you could, you know, you know how it is. Like when you're even, you know, yeah, if I'm at 60, 80 feet or whatever, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and yeah. so our whole second day was coaching Neil up to be able to like shoot a fish. You know, and he was ecstatic as he had talked this place up and he had met and it lived up to his expectations. And we were like, oh, wow, I cannot believe this. But we were ecstatic as well. We were just like, I really enjoy seeing people get that, like making people better and the hunt part. Yeah. Yeah, But like you said, like my, one of my most memorable fish was sitting on a shelf at 60 and i got vortex by dog tooth that were probably like 18 inches and i shot one oh, wow and i never thought number one i'd ever shoot a dog tooth tuna just because i'm living in california number two was yep. like sitting there and like real diver like real having to hunt and then like in this new area yeah, yeah. and it drops to like 100 feet so you're sitting on a shelf and you could look out and I'd see this massive coral trout you know it was like all oh, right I'm yeah. not from Florida. I can't dive that deep, but I mean, <laughs> and then the doggies, you know, surround you just shoot one and then land the shot. You know, that's another thing. They land the shot. and You're like coming up. You're yeah. like, I'm a real diver. You know, this feels good. <laughs> yeah. Man, those moments,
1: they do happen every now and then. You, know, you, you lay it on the bottom and you have opportunity and you don't have to pull the trigger, but it's like the, you, I don't know. It's like, those days where you, you feel like you belong and, and this is your place like that. Good days, man. Uh, those
0: moments are, that awesome. Yeah. I love it. And I think that's, like you said, that, that's the important thing is that's why we do it. It's just that feeling being a part of the environment. Mm. It, mm. You know, I guess if I, like my wife and I were talking about, I mean, because of social media, it looks like every time you go out, you get a fish. When I hunt like yeah. white sea bass, I did for years, years. Like i doing it for, I don't know, 20 but the amount of time in the water like i would say you could probably add up 100 for years without even seeing one but the whole point was i literally snorkeled on a coral reef or i snorkeled on a uh, kelp forest like you're talking about those days where you're like wow this is just kind of surreal and if a fish swims by cool but this is really cool and you know bat race swims by or something or and uh you just enjoy the environment and to be a small part of Mm. it um there's always, like, something special about that. Even if it's, like, a hunter going for a walk in the woods and he just happens to be carrying his gun, you know? Like, pretty cool. It was,
1: was sport. Brett. Oh, my, um, I want all my boys to have that same feeling, you know? Like, um, just an appreciation for what, what we have access to, you know? Like, it's a, it's, it's a cool thing.
0: Yeah, and just, and that's just it. And passing it along um, to others and, and, like, for us as dads, like, passing on to my son and my daughter's. Um, I'm not saying you got to buy in and go crazy like your old man, but just, just take it in. Cause I bet you, I just know they're going to marry somebody just like me. It's going to be hilarious. It's like, <laughs> you're ready. Yeah. They'll be all trained up for it. I'm like, Oh, I know my dad's a psychopath too. Like I know you guys. Yeah. No, It's funny. Well, thanks to Shrek for your time and, and thank you for everything you do for this community. Truly selfish. Um, genuine person and i just love that there's you're the you're the in a lot of ways the spokesman of our community and you're doing it right and uh it's fucking awesome man and and thank you for all the help if anybody if i hadn't said this before like shrek always was the first one to offer help um and give me and just be a total open book uh to getting started and and i really do appreciate that and that's why i always looked at you as a as a mentor not competition or any of that stuff um just i guess fucking solid dude and i know how it is man it's it's hard to travel and all of that but if you ever get a chance um to come over uh, i know the reef we're going uh, to now we're, we're fucking going she come stuff. So. <laughs> there
1: My, but i'm gonna I I wanted to do US pre COVID A eh? like I was going to come over and do you know one of the big Florida um like deep uh, is it the blue
0: the one um, the one in Florida is that giant biggest expo I think Brett Label does like host there or some of the biggest spearfishing competition yeah oh not the not
1: not the comp the expo like the what do you Dino? call it, the show the trade show yeah yeah, yeah or there's another one yeah yeah. yeah. I was going to come over and do one of those, do a heap of interviews, and then, um, and then also spend some time spearing. But the problem is, it's like, what do I do? Do I do three weeks in Florida or three weeks in California? And because I, I, would like to do the east and west coast. Like, there's just there's so I much. To do. Lost, like oh, yeah. That block island. Massive. Yeah. I yeah. oh, if you come into Australia, I'm sorry, you just go straight to WA. That. Um, <laughs> you don't make any bones about it. You go straight to WA, and um. Get on with some decent um operators and um go. You know, I mean, you you're right though, we've got Coral Sea as well up in the north and um the the Great Barrier Reef's pretty special as well. So we are where up it's sport. Even even if you wanted to do temperate water stuff like I was I was on the phone yesterday with the bloke in South Australia. It's cool diving even down there. So I hear what you're saying, man.
0: Yeah, big sharks down there. I I know uh surfing in Western Australia looks insane. There's just nobody there, I think. It's just yeah. So the fisheries healthy and the Northern Islands up in where it starts with the M or something, uh up there. Man, they just have incredible places. We can't talk about yeah. it.
1: We can't we can't blow these spots yeah. up.
0: It's just it's incredible. Of... Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, brother, for your time. Oh good,
1: Brett. Yeah. I keep doing what you're doing, man. That's yeah. a it's a cool podcast. Love love listening to the spear factor. And you've brought something to um to your spearfishing community, particularly like the guys in your area like um but even broadly like but you know i think i i was legit with what i said earlier like you're you're a legit voice and in, in definitely in your part of the world and people need that
0: yeah thank you i, I couldn't have done it without you and i mean that sincerely oh <laughs> good brother yeah That's good. that concludes the show for today thanks shrek for uh having an amazing podcast and thanks for being an amazing mentor in this industry thanks for being on the show And I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. Uh, Take care. Hope you guys have a great holiday season.